Hello friends, welcome to the show. My name is Tom Broback, and I'm on a mission to help high school coaches keep their athletes happy and healthy. I love playing sports growing up. From backyard football, to traveling basketball, to high school track and field, there is nothing better than being on a team and playing to win a game. Unfortunately, I struggled with health issues, and I know your athletes do too. This inspired me to become a physical therapist and sports performance coach. This podcast will help coaches like you learn how to keep your athletes off the bench and in the game. On today's episode, I sit down and talk with Cody Hughes. Cody is the Director of Human Performance at Madison Academy in Huntsville, Alabama. He's also the host of the Student Athlete Preparation Podcast and is very active on Twitter. I appreciate Cody taking time to talk all things coaching with me. Thank you, Cody, and thank you everyone for listening to the show. What's a typical day like for you? Uh, well, it's changed this year. It's been more like so in the off season, so like in the spring, football goes heavy on training. We do we do seven sessions a week, man. Like it's legit. Like so Jeez. Yeah, but you got to hear me out. Okay, it's not what you think. So all right. You first have to understand our school schedule, okay? Our school schedule yeah. is 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. And our school schedule is alternating block. So what that means is our kids go to eight classes. Uh, they have eight classes all year round, but they go to four classes on an A day. So think of classes one, two, three, and four yeah. right? on a block schedule, 85 minute classes. That's on Monday. Tuesday, they go to five, six, seven, and eight, 85 minute classes, and it alternates. So if you look at a full week, you're either going to your A day classes three times, right? Your B day classes twice, whatever you end on. You just start on the other one. So if we ended on an A day on Friday, mm-hmm. we'd start back on a B day. So it flip flops. See how that's weird. So I'm either and I we have strength conditioning classes that's built into the day. Like you take oh, my wow. class, and so um, you're gonna see me two or three times a week. Does that make sense? Yeah, so that's how I had works. a I had a schedule like that my first year or two in college. We had like it was like a six day rotation. So you have days one through five. Then you start day. It's a kind of even odd thing. Right. I really like the eight to three. I think that's way better for high schoolers. Yeah. Well, less classes in a day. That makes way more sense to me. So it's, it's eight to three, but we're, 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 dude, it's a really neat place I work at, man. It's a, it's a campus wide, dude. We have our own campus surrounded by trees. Like you come onto our campus. It's, it's literally kinder, uh, pre K through 12, two different buildings. And our elementary school is upstairs. Our our high school is downstairs, so they never really cross paths. And then like yeah. tra- traffic flow gets tough. So like the high school is eight to three, but the elementary school is seven forty to two forty. Um, just for traffic logistic purposes, it's got to be that way, or it'd be just an absolute cluster. Yeah, everyone get out at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So, how, but how how big is your high school? So like, like nine through twelve. Nine through twelve. Well, we're graduating the highest class we've ever had in the history of Madison Academy at ninety three students. Okay. Um, every other class underneath that's about sixty two to sixty seven. So if you do that mass, that's like right around two hundred and fifty, two hundred and sixty, probably two fifty from nine through twelve. So it's it's not big, man. It's a small school. What class size or division are you guys in Alabama? So Alabama, there's one through seven A, right? So here's the kicker. Yeah. <laughs> All right. 
Alabama has a has what I think is called the Madison Academy rule. So we play. <laughs> we I'm 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 dead serious. We are not like after this senior class graduates, we will have two A size numbers. Okay, two A size numbers. Mm-hmm. But in Alabama, this is how this works. If you're a private school, first off, your sports play up a classification due to the multiplier. So you multiply every kid times one point three one. Okay. That gives you your base number of where you play. Okay. So we're a 2A size school, automatically going to play in 3A, no matter what. Now there's something on top of that called competitive balance. Madison Academy absolutely dominated in 2013, four, no, 12, 13, and 14, where they won three state football championships. And in 2014, they won the triple crown. They won football, basketball, and baseball all in the same year. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't hear that, obviously. Uh, but it's like they thought that private schools had more that, you know, recruiting advantages and stuff like that. So they decided to create this competitive advantage rule, which is basically a scoring system every two years based off every different, every sport's different that however deep you get into the playoffs, you you rank a certain sport. And if you pass a certain point threshold in two years, you get bumped to class. For example, we're a two a size school and our basketball teams play six a. Oh my gosh. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And, and it's really hard to compete really hard. I mean, our, our, but both both our teams didn't get out of the regional tournament. Six A, yeah, man. He's uh, I, know, I was thinking like, oh, okay, you guys got to play four A, like tough. But well, football, we were four A last year because we, we hadn't had a lot of success, and we were one, we were literally one drive away from a state championship appearance, one drive, and we and we fumbled the bag. But um, basketball, our girls won like three straight state titles, so we went boop 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 boop, like went up quick, and. Now we're struggling. Like we played three, three, three freshmen for our girls started on basketball this year, all year in a six A environment. Now it'll pay off yes. for them down the road, but holy right. God. And they still came out five, like almost five hundred. I think they finished like fourteen yeah. and sixteen, which is super impressive because our coach is ridiculously good. But, um, but anyway, so sorry. Back to your original question. My 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 typical day, I train football off season, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, at six thirty a.m. The reason I'm not training them 6.30 a.m. today is because we don't have school today. It's a mental health day where parent or uh, teachers get off. They come in. They do whatever they want to do. Students don't come in. So we're training at 8.30 today, but usually we'll train from 6.30 to 7.30. School day starts at 8. I'll have class. So at 8 o'clock, I'm pretty much got a break. So now that I have an assistant, I don't know if you follow Brandon Pig on Twitter. Um, he's been uh, – he's my assistant. He's – been putting a lot of content out lately but um so i have me and then my full my full-time assistant brandon and then we have two sport coaches that work in the weight room the football coach and the girls basketball coach who are both pretty knowledgeable they're not certified or anything but they're they're good um so at eight o'clock first block's always middle school and middle school will train first block always and sometimes that's sport practice too whether it's basketball baseball whatever and brandon is the director of that He'll oversee that. So I kind of have a, a planning period during that time. A lot of times I'm actually, I actually go and train during that time. Um, I'm actually trying to rehab my hip right now. I've talked to you about that before. Mm-hmm. So like I'm like really trying to dive in on that. Then in between first and second block, we'll have um, either chapel. It's a 30 minute period or a flex period where it's either study halls, department meetings, stuff like that. And then second block, my day really starts back on at 10 o'clock. Uh, well, 10, 10, 10 or so. And we'll have three straight uh, high school classes of strength and conditioning. On B days, it's boys. A days, the first two classes are girls. And then the last one's another boys class. My assistant, Brandon, heads up the girls' training classes. I do the boys' training classes. And after 3 o'clock, currently I don't have anything after school um, except for twice a week. 
on Mondays and Thursdays is when we'll do our speed or ch- uh, change direction or tempo work with our football guys. So when I said our football guys get seven sessions in in a week and everybody's like, holy crap, you know, I'm killing these kids. Well, we're not. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday is their main training session in mm-hmm. the morning that they get. But they're either going to come to me in class. They're going to come to me in class too at some point. Those two classes, those two classes are going to be accessory, correctives, stability, a mm-hmm. little bit, try to dive in. All right, what does this individual guy, person, player need? Um, also, we do a lot of upper body armor work during that time. That's a little more low. You know, it's, low, it's not as intense. It's not as nervous system driven. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's five sessions there. And then the other two are a speed and change direction session and then a uh, tempo, a volume accumulation and max velocity uh, technique day. So that's seven. That's That's what it looks like for us. I guess if you're, when you said seven sessions, I was like, oh, seven days a week. That's a lot. But I guess if you're doing a uh, speed workout and then strength workout, just back to back, that's really like two sessions and you do that three days a week, that's six. So the seven number uh, isn't as uh, crazy as I thought it'd be initially when you break it down that way. Yeah, it's you know, Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure they're like, wait, what are you doing? Um, well, it's funny you say that. Let me clarify. Yeah. Don't, not everybody does that. Football does that one because... We're, we're in an environment at a private school and Huntsville is now the biggest city in Alabama over a quarter million people. So like I have people from every direction to drive to go to school here over an hour. Right. So like they don't spend time with each other. So coaches like we got to get these guys around each other now, basketball mm-hmm. and baseball. So baseball likes to go three day off season. So they'll go get their two lifts in class. They come on Friday mornings and train one time a week together. Basketball likes two. they want a four day uh, split two in class. And then they pick two days in the week that they're not training. And come in and train. So it's it's different for every every sport that wants those offseason touches, you know. But football wants to be together as much as possible. And as we all know, football pays the bills. So <laughs> do you set that up with the sport coach or how does that uh schedule come about? Yeah, I mean, I've been here, it's my fourth year now. It's just taking time to figure out what we what works best. You know, I, that literally was my biggest challenge for the first two years was figuring out, all right, well with our schedule and our kids and our resources and, and everything, how, how do we maximize what we have? And that was that this is where I'm starting to find out that I think what we currently have is how we're maximizing it. So yeah, we meet with sport coaches. We ask them what they want because mm-hmm. we're, we require our athletes to take our class. Like you, you have to be in my class and, and basically the way our schedule sets up in class. If you look at it on a two week frame, well, so you're going to see me either twice or three times a week, right? But we we base it off a two-day-a-week consistent developmental model. So we're mm-hmm. constantly training two days a week year-round. If you see me for a third day in that week, we get outside the weight room and we do some fun, some type of small-sided game to get out of the weight room and do some like some, some type of game that creates chaos to one, learn how to move in space, create, make decisions, teamwork, leadership, all these things. And if you look at our schedule – in a semester, my kids are going to see me in class 38 times. Only 15% of those are going to be like four to five sessions of those are going to be those Fridays, just because a lot of times we have holidays. You know, right. so if we have a holiday in the week that, that if we land on a Friday, we still have to get our two training sessions in. So like 85% strength training and 15% fun. And well, not that strength training is not fun, but we just get out and do a competitive day um, and and do that. So, that. so that's like the model that we fit all of our athletes uh, are required to be in our class and we train two days a week year round. 
I feel that model allows for less excuses to miss a, miss a lifting lifting session. I think when you lift like after school, so many things can come up like doctor appointments, like, Oh, I have this other sporting event. Like if it's baked into your day, like basically it's like a, a awesome gym class, right? Like if it's baked into your day for the athlete, they're going to get a high level workout. And like you said, they're going to be consistent twice a week for all year round. And I think m- 99% of kids would benefit from that. And most kids I don't, I think aren't getting that. They're not getting that consistent, uh, high level workout where they can work out with their friends or their classmates or their, or their teammates. Um, but it seems like you guys have made that model possible with, uh, the system you guys have set up at school. Yeah. And it comes with drawbacks. Let's not, let's not get it twisted. Like right. a lot of high schools like that, that fourth block or that seventh period athletics time where, sport coaches that have control over have full control over their kids during those time can start practice earlier and get out earlier, which I totally am an advocate for. So you trade off some of that. Like so our kids aren't starting practice till three 30, you know, some, some high schools around here have that fourth block schedule. They're starting practice at two o'clock and they're getting out mm-hmm. at five, you know? Yeah. So like that's including lifting too, you know? So like trying to, uh, balance that those are decisions that were made. This schedule was already baked in when I got here, but it's very much so beneficial. Like I, I love the the just consistency approach and the kids that have success in here are the ones that just show up and work every day. And But <laughs> you say you'd think it'd be less trouble, but you'd be surprised. Like kids checking out on doctor's appointments, trying to find <laughs> ways. Oh, I've got a test to make up. Oh, coach, I, I don't have. I, I'm telling you, these kids, man, like they have to be held to the fire. <laughs> and, and honestly, you can't save them all. I hate to say it, but like some kids literally, they don't get any accountability from home. They, they're they spoiled and you try your best to try to give them the best shot possible and continue to let them know what the standard is. And like, oh, you're in this class. You say you're an athlete. This is what we need to do. And those are also the kids that are filling up the training room are always hurt, you know, so and they still don't understand it. You know, as, as much as I want to educate, as much as I put out content, as much as I try to share with them how we train and how it helps them, just had a conversation with our senior starting shortstop who loves to train yesterday. And he's like, we're having a conversation about, hey, it's the week before baseball season, before opening day. If there's a week that we want to absolutely not take a chance in the weight room, it's this week. And he was like, yeah, yeah, coach. So like after school when I go, I shouldn't like do as much like chest and back this week. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, man. Yeah, don't. <laughs> like, it, it, you're not going to convince that kid. He likes to train. Like, right. it, it's and they're going to do body part splits. And all they are is they're, they're insecure kids that want to look good and they they want to feel confident. And I'm like, why? Trying to fight that battle. I see a lot of strength coaches get really frustrated with kids that train body part splits with their kids in the in the commercial gym. Like, I'm just, at least they're doing that and not out doing stu- stupid stuff with their friends that they shouldn't be and getting in trouble. You know, so I look at it from a different perspective. Hundred percent. One of my biggest challenges in clinic is when I get a patient and I'm trying to figure out: do they need like a pat on the back or do they need like a kick in the butt? And every patient responds a little different to when they need some constructive criticism. Some people really need like that, that reinforcement, like "Hey, like it's gonna be okay, like good, 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 good." And other people be like, "Hey, like you're not doing your stuff. Like we need to get serious here." How have you been able to navigate that with? with uh middle and high school age kids middle school is really difficult i'm not gonna lie uh it's been interesting watching my assistant navigate those waters because brandon's really brilliant okay if you guys don't follow him you should his name's brandon pig with two g's um 
young and upcoming coach. I'm going to try my best to keep him here. <laughs> like he's that good, you know, and and he's really knowledgeable and very intelligent. But one of the things that he's he's learning to improve on is how to how to navigate and manage a room. That's a skill of a, of a strength coach is when you're in mm-hmm. a team trading environment. Well, middle schoolers, man, you could be talking and they just don't care. They're just talking to their friend, and you could be looked at super disrespectful. And you tell them one thing, you're like, it's in, in he literally told me in the office the other day, he's like, man, it's in, it's crazy how much these kids truly just don't listen. You can put it on their sheet. You can write it on the board. You can say it three <laughs> times. You can have them repeat it back to you. Yeah. And they still didn't grasp it. Well, I was like, you have to understand that where they're at in their emotional intelligence and where they're at in their development, in their brain too. You got to understand that and, and how mm-hmm. much their brain's filled with other things. And it's not imp- as important to them as it is to us, and it never will be. So keep that in mind. Just keep chipping. But, like, for example, our kids were in the hallway during chapel because middle school happens during high school chapel, middle school training, and it's right next to where the auditorium is. And if they're being loud, they could interrupt the chapel session. And they were, and that comes down on us. And I told Brandon, I was like, you, at some point, you're going to have to lay the hammer down. Like, you're just going to have to. And they called his bluff and he had them do wall sits and, and push up ISOs on the minute for like 15 minutes straight. And those kids were calling Jesus, man. They were like, and next day they come in and there's not a single kid in the hallway. <laughs> you know, I'm like, Hey, don't, don't give them rhabdo obviously, but you've got to do something to let them know that, Hey, your actions have consequences. Now, as far as the high school goes, I like to treat them like adults, Tom. Mm-hmm. It's this simple. I don't. I don't like to up down kids. I, obviously, if they don't participate, they get a zero for the day. I just remove them. I tell them, bring all your stuff in my office. Give me your phone. Give me your AirPods. Give me every piece of technology you have. Sit on that wall and don't say anything. You don't get to participate. You lose the privilege of doing something awesome today, which is training in here. Which we we blare the music. We get after it. We have fun, and we get better. You choose not to get better. You're not going to get in the way of these other kids that want to be coached. And it's and it's not a it's not a big ordeal. It's not an emotional thing. Okay, that's fine. You don't want to you don't want to train today to zero. Hand me your stuff. Go sit down. And I'm going to coach people that want to be coached and go from there. It's it's literally I try to make it that simple. And as soon as they realize that they're missing out and they're not being included anymore, that's been a big behavioral change strategy for me. That's helped. For some, it hasn't changed them at all. And there's, it's really tough to to reach those to try to try to touch base every once in a while. And you're talking like, out of all my classes, I'm talking like two or three kids. You know what I'm saying? Like for the for the large majority, it's fine. But also just getting to know your kids the best way you can possible, and just it's really tough in a, in a team setting. You know, and obviously the the cliche answer is ask about their day, get outside the weights, get outside the sets and reps, and get to know the kid, which is very true. But it's also how you navigate and allow space because they're going to feed off how the energy that I'm going to allow or constrain in the room um, of how they can behave. Am I letting them be themselves first off? Like a lot of coaches don't allow kids to be themselves. They try to paint them into being robots, which is a huge problem to me about who they think they should be rather than giving them a chance to flourish as who they already are because they're, they're, they're young kids. They're high school kids. They are still figuring out who they are. They don't know themselves yet. Mm-hmm. Their brain isn't even close to being fully developed. Of course, they're crazy emotional animals. So you need to allow room for that to, to manifest. If you just try to tell them what they don't know and what they need to do, they're probably going to put up walls from you. 
and be really difficult to figure out what makes them tick. And I always try to put it like, look, here's the standard. You don't do it right. Now we're going to have a conversation. Did you understand what was expected? Yes, sir. Did you know the sets and reps? Yes. Did you know we're supposed to do it this way? Yeah. Why don't you do it that way? Usually crickets, right? I'm like, it's usually one of two things. One, you simply don't want to do it and you don't care about it. Or two, you're stuck on autopilot mode and you're not focused. Now, why? And, and just have those conversations constantly about why are you here? Why do we do what we do? Right. If you understand why you do what you do and then you put forth the effort. And then another thing I always say is you have to be here, right? Yeah. You have to put forth some energy, right? Yeah. Well, why not get the most out of it? Mm. You're going to put, you're going to put in all this energy and effort and not get something out of it. God, that's a real waste. You just, you just wasting your time and mine. And it's a constant battle. And you always have to, it's trial by fire too. Like sometimes I may get, Kick, kick a kid in the butt and say, let's, let's get your act together. You're completely missing out. You know, you, you're missing it. You're going to get left behind. I mean, actually, like, get in a kid's grill. And then the other one, pull them aside and see. And then just keep, you know, it's, it's an art, man. And it just takes time to figure it out. And the more you see it, the more you're around it, the more reps you get as a coach, the more you start to see trends of psychology, you know, and how and behavior traits that you can figure out, okay, now I've siloed this kid into what I've observed. And now I feel like I have one or two weapons that I can pull and I can uh, go with that point of attack to have behavior change and influence. Cause that's what coaching is, is behavior influence and change. You know, we, I think that we would all be better off if we would study sales tactics and negotiation tactics as coaches. Like those are massive t- like tips that is more important than trying to perfect a deadlift. I'm not saying that we shouldn't like, we need to be masters of our craft, but we can't influence people in a way that it, that they believe is good for them. It's really tough to coach. You know, it's really tough. I've had a couple experiences working with middle school kids and it's really hard. The kid who like talks the most, they're usually like a little bit funny too. So like when you try to come down, like they make you laugh and it's like yeah, <laughs> trying to discipline, but you're right. hilarious and they know they're funny. Um, but I think equally like that, the, the screwball, like the one like screwing around, not listening, like they can bring the group down. Mm-hmm. But I also think like a kid who works really hard and is a good leader and has good relationships with most people in the room, they can bring that group up. Those kids are so impressionable. And I think feeding that positive behavior is just as important as um, disciplining that negative behavior. Um, and I think too often we, we, we focus on, all right, this kid's like, this kid's a bad kid. This kid's disrupting. This kid's not listening. But also, can we spend more time rewarding the kids that are, because it's so hard to be a leader when you're in seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th oh grade. Oh my gosh. It's, right? I think that that time in middle school is one of the most terrifying times for these kids because they are so <laughs> scared to death of judgment and it's happening. Like all for and I think, I think 85% of our discipline problems in our school comes from middle school, 100% because it's just a weird place that they are. And now let me flip the script on their middle school. Our middle school kids aren't too cool. Like our high school kids, they're too cool sometimes to work hard. Like oh, I'm better than this. Our middle schoolers are impressionable. And if you find a way to cultivate it and make it cool somehow, oh, they will run through a brick wall. Like, for example, we had one of those Fridays where we've had our two sessions in. 
saw me for a third day. They wanted to play pickup basketball. Brandon's been kind of running our sessions. Well, Brandon had to, I think, I don't know if Brandon went feeling well or had something to do that day. He went here. So I was running the session, took him down and they're like, coach, 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 jump in. Well, I jumped in for a little pickup game and I played basketball in high school and like just absolutely crossed a kid, you know, and and they were all like, oh, coach. And and like having fun, like a lot of fun and finding ways to connect with those kids like that. And then when you circle back, when it's time to train again, it's the transformational approach rather than the transactional approach with those kids. And you have to be patient because they're so fragile emotionally and mentally and they're it's you have to be patient with those kids, but that's you, you can really make an impression with them. In high school, it's really difficult because they can be really too cool for school, and that's the that that's the tough part. Is some kids, whether coaches want to pride themselves on it or not, good. There's some kids you won't crack, and, and maybe you won't. And maybe you said something they'll never you'll never know it, and then they'll come back five or ten years later and go, "Coach, you had a, a huge impact on me. You had no idea." So that doesn't mean don't coach them. That doesn't mean don't give every effort you can. But just because you don't see the seed or you don't see any blooming right now, you're 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 watering that seed. It's hard with high schoolers too, because at the time they may not know, like, oh, this coach, like he's getting on me, like he's he's always on me, like he just wants so much from me. Like and they kind of take it like personal, right? It's like, is oh, he yeah. yelling at me because I'm Tom Brobeck, or is he yelling at me because I missed my assignment or I didn't show up on time, things like that. Um, yeah, man. But later on in life, you, when you get an adult, you realize, hey, like they were on me because they cared about me. They saw potential in me. They knew I could get better. They wanted the best in me and they knew I would I would respond to that. I think that's the other thing is they want a lot of you because they know like you're going to put in the work, you're going to put in the effort. Um, but when you're 16, 17, I think we take it so personally. But it sounds like you do a good job of keeping things objective. Like here are the objectives, like here's the standard. Are you meaning that yes or no? And if not, why? And then that way it's not so much I'm attacking you as a person. I'm just attacking your behaviors, your 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 day-to-day actions. And those aren't aligned with the standard we're trying to hold in this in this place. Yeah. So coaches need to understand this. Your words are powerful. Mm-hmm. Super powerful. And you can use them to damage kids or you can absolutely create them into awesome people, you know, like, and, and you don't really see it at the time, but how you word things means everything and how you approach the problem and not the person, but you have to understand that the problem comes from the person, but don't attack the person, attack the problem, you know, and, and, and doing that can be difficult. And understand that these humans, these small developmental humans, young, not small, because not all of them are small, (laughs) young (laughs) developmental humans are such emotional animals and that their emotions drive their rationale. And a lot of times it blinds it completely and they're not going. And and if they're in a really emotional state, you understand that you're not going to make a lot of headway in emotional states. If a kid is really, really pissed off or you know, they're in, they're in an environment in front of their peers where they refuse to be embarrassed. You know, it's like, to me, I call it the, the, the block shot phenomena to where like kids refuse to do two things, get their shot blocked or get dunked on. They will literally run away to not get put on freaking Snapchat and, or Instagram dunked on or get your shot. They will, f- I, they don't care. They won't shoot. I'm not going to shoot. I'm not going to do it. They're going to get out of that situation. And part of that's being embarrassed by their peers and they don't want that. So you have to be careful with your words. Sometimes you have to be able to 
to dictate or discern whether you need to pull them into your office. You need to talk to them after the session. And believe it or not, some kids need to be embarrassed in front of their peers. Sometimes that's what it takes too. I'm not saying that that's wrong in, in a way that, that, that completely dis or it doesn't encourage the, the behavior rather than in, embarrassing the person. And that's, that's difficult to do. It's not an easy thing because some I've hurt kids' feelings before. I've had to apologize publicly. You know, I've I've done things where I've had to learn from it. But keeping things as objective as possible and continuing to 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 repeat that stand because that's what we talked about. I just said it earlier that the kids don't listen. They don't know. You we know it as strength coaches and and coaches. Period. Not just strength coaches, but we we know the standard like the back of our hand. It's what it's like our number one priority. This is my career. It's how it feeds my family. I love this stuff. I dive in it all the time. It's my passion. Not to these kids. These kids walk in and see a, a four thousand square foot weight room, um, premium sore necks racks, squat wedges, like safety squat bars a laser timing system on turf and they just think that that's just another day. And you got other coaches that'll walk in and go, wow, you guys are so blessed. You don't understand. They don't understand it. So you have to actually step into their perspective. If you want to have an ounce of empathy, you cannot do it. If you only stay within yourself and think you need to, you need to be this, this, and this good luck having any kind of influence on their behavior. You know what I mean? So that's, that's, that's an approach. I always try to, to, to take and keep in perspective, but also, making sure I'm rewarding the positives way more than I'm ever negative. Like if I see something good, I have to uh, encourage that. I have to reinforce it all the time. Great job. Great job. This is good. This is good. This is good all the time. Cause they know that, that I'm, I'm, I'm happy with what they're doing. They're doing the right things. They need to know that. And that sparks confidence as well. And then once they, I mean, it's, it's just like anything you, you feed whatever wolf you want to grow. You know, and mm-hmm. you better, you better, I mean, it, it's like, it's like training a dog. I remember training my, my pup and I'm a huge dog lover and I have a dog that's a lab and training him. And what do you, when you train a dog, you train them with positive reinforcement. Mm-hmm. That, that's what's more like you have to give them treats if you want a behavior, right? Do the same thing. And all it is, is a, is a positive fist bump. It's a positive word of encouragement. It's not fake. You know, it's a great job. Hey, that was good. That was money. Repeat that. I'm right. You're right there. That's what I want. That's money. That, that's it. You're hitting that. You know what I'm saying? Like the squat looks great. You better let them know because if you just ignore that and only and only come with a negative approach, they're gonna they're not gonna be clear on what the objective was. Because you mm-hmm. have to remember, they don't know the objective as well as you do, no matter what you say. And if you only say this isn't what I want, they're not not gonna know. Okay, like what do you actually want? But when you reinforce that. You know, like they don't know what a good squat looks like. They don't know what a good flying ten is. They don't know what like hard work is sometimes, right? You know, you know what I think is crazy, Tom. I don't think <laughs> I don't think coaches hardly know either. To be honest, coaches don't know what they want either. They're constantly mm. battling that. Like, yeah. if you can't clearly communicate what you want, how in the world are you going to expect them to know what you want? And if you ask the question why, you can't answer it. You got problems. Like just, just you got to be able to give an answer, and sometimes the answer is I've got a hypothesis. I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to use this type of approach, and we're gonna see where it goes. I don't know yet, but I I have I like I like this idea, so we're gonna try it. I'm in that right now. We're doing a ton of tempo training, right? We have this idea of of how we're training specifically a lot slower than normal, 
over a long period of time. And I'm getting blown up on Twitter about it because I keep throwing out, like I just threw out a video the other day about how we calculate tension units and volume load through time instead of reps and what I think it does. And I'm getting a lot of resistance from it. And I'm telling people, I don't know yet. I I have this hypothesis of what may work. And I think this is what will happen. I've talked to a lot of bright coaches that use this type. I've read a ton. I think this is great for what we have. So, yeah, I'm changing things. I took out Olympic lifts completely in our program. I used to be completely 100% all about Olympic lifts and especially the clean. Now I don't think the clean has any benefit to an athlete whatsoever. Not one. I really don't. Um, not, not, not a high school athlete. And a lot of coaches will burn me at the stake for that. But I, that's just how I am, man. I feel like if I don't challenge ideas and – and go with what I think, um, I, I can't sleep at night. You know, like I can't just do what other people want me to do. And I have a why for that. And like coming full circle with what I said was, I don't know if coaches truly understand their why. It, it doesn't have to be like clear cut in the literature. Or it doesn't have to be clear. Oh, this works all the time. Miss strength conditioning. Quit saying that you think everything works. None of us really know. You know what I'm saying? Like we, we have so many variables that we don't really, we see glimpses of things and we have principles we abide by. But if you just try to do things based off of what other coaches do and you're scared to death to think for yourself, man, I, I, it's really hard to, to respect that, you know, like because every situation is different. Every kid's different. Every team's different. So coaches, please ask yourself why. And then not just in training and programming, but in behavior, be clear, be clear with what you want and what it looks like. Or you're going to send confusing messages because that's that's the biggest problem is kids will be kids just want to please you, man. You, you yeah. cannot convince me otherwise that kids do not just want to make their coach happy. Like I just I want coach to be proud of me. I want my parents to be proud of me. OK, well, if you're sending mixed messages, good luck because they're just constantly trying to they're playing whack-a-mole with you, man. And you, you, you're making it hard. But it's not just kids and coaches. People struggle with that. People mm-hmm. struggle communicating. For sure. That's why divorce rates are where they're at. That's why people give up on things so easy. That's that's why disputes happen because we are so terrible at managing discourse. Like when there's an issue, we don't know how to manage it. We don't know how to clearly communicate the one question, what do you want? And everybody think that what do you want is an easy question to answer. To me, it's one of the hardest questions in the answer to answer. And the hardest, qu- harder than, one of the hardest questions in the world to answer. Do you think coaches want too many things or are they not just crystal clear on the singular main objective and they can't express what that singular thing well enough? I think they like the idea of things. Hmm. They're not, and, but they're, you hit the nail on the head. I don't think they're clear. On what they want. Mm-hmm. I think that they may want something that's not possible in that moment, that you're at a state. And that's where a lot of great coaches can recognize and go, I am at this state of the program. We have to start here. But no, no, no. I want it to look like this already. It doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. You know, every every single program has its own life cycle. Everything changes. We're about we just go from a football team that's graduating 18 seniors and super heavy and immature. Now we're about to have a much younger team that changes everything. You don't know what you want, but it's a constantly moving target too. You have to always have checks and balances in play. If you hear business people talk, they talk about how you can't constantly work inside your business because you'll never have a chance to work on your business. 
You'll never have a chance. You can't just work inside your system all the time and never work on your systems and be able to actually evaluate your systems. And are, are we being efficient and driving towards that main question? Are we clear with what we want? You know, with like football teams or whatever team, like we want to win games. Okay, well, what do we have? What are, what are the weapons that we have? What strategies and tactics are going to give us the best chance to win this game? What type of emotional behaviors and type of people are we working with? in order to execute? How do we put these people in the best situation to be successful? Those are the things you have to try to get, you have to get clear on. And and being clear just means deciding on a strategy and committing to it. Because I think a lot of coaches are are scared to death to commit to it. This is what we believe in. Mm -hmm. It comes back to identity. Teams struggle with creating identity because it starts at the top. The coaches don't know how to create it in the first place. You cannot convince me otherwise that Coaches want to blame the kids. Oh, there's no identity in this team. Well, you, there's no such thing as bad teams, just bad leaders. You've heard Jocko Willink say that. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that you can't have you, that you don't need talent to win. That's 100 percent true. Um, I mean, you can, and and winning all your games isn't the only measurement of success either. <laughs> you know, like 100. With this team in this environment, success looks different. You know, success for this type of school or where they're at currently may be getting into the playoffs and winning seven games. That's really successful. Right. That's, that's a good environment, you know, and it's different every other place, but that's, I I really believe that man, that clarity and being self-aware and asking that question and constantly reevaluating yourself. And then if you're a head coach, your staff and, and managing that is probably the toughest part in order to get where you want to go. Cause it's not as simple as X's and O's. It starts there. No matter if you're a business owner you're a principal, if you are a teacher, if you're a head football coach, if you're a strength coach, if you're a physical therapist, whatever it is, that type of think, that line of thinking and that mental model is where it has to begin before you can ever put X's and O's programming together, practice plans. That deep line of thinking has to occur. And it helps to have like-minded individuals that understand that process that you can help bang ideas off of my department. Well, I'm not going to say my department. The department here has exponentially grown because I now have a, a, an assistant in my office that is constantly challenging my mental model, mm-hmm. constantly challenging it constantly. And I'm, I invite that. I'm like, Brandon, if you don't ask me one hard question a day, I'm going to be, uh, we didn't do something right. Like question right. it because if we continue to bounce it and bang it and bang it and ask and challenge and challenge and it holds up, we probably have something worth having. If it if we never challenge it at all, how do we know it's worth anything? You know, if we constantly ask ourselves those questions and 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 bang concepts up against, well, why is that good? Why is that good? Is it good? Test the hypotheses. Can you be as as the least amount of biased as possible when analyzing it? Because sorry, guys, it's impossible not to have some cognitive bias. It's who we are. You can't be completely unbiased in something that you're running. And Instead of there's strength coaches out there that throw out squat maxes and are finding ways to confirm their thinking rather than trying to tear it down to see if it's actually if it has any type of density, if it has any type of strength to it, if it has any validity to it. Instead, they are scared to death of accountability. And coaches won't admit that. Well, humans in general won't admit that quite often. And but they want to preach it, right? They want to put it on their wall. They want to put it in their handbook. They want to put it on the backside of T-shirts. They, they but they don't want to live it, and that's a problem. 
It's a very common issue. I've talked to a lot of different coaches and uh, athletes about that. How or what, or I guess the when, <laughs> when in your career did you start to sharpen your why and become more crystallized to you of why you do what you do with the athletes that you work with? Probably year two here at Madison Academy. Because here, here, here's my, here was my progression and it's taken a lot of reflection this this may be a long-winded answer so be prepared because i want to be clear on this it's a really good question it happened through getting married early um having serious identity issues i got done playing college ball and just lost it Mm -hmm. i knew i wanted to coach went to intern immediately and got lost in it. But I got lost in it and never for a second sat with my thoughts. I never sat with and dealt with any of that mental, my, like where I was at mentally, where I was at emotionally. Like I never, I never addressed it. Got married immediately, moved to 12 hours away, immersed myself into a division one associate director's role, was making less than 30 K a year, working 80 to hundred hour weeks. Never seeing my wife, who I just married, who she we're around twelve hours away from any family, and my life was really rough. I thought that I was like my thing was like I wanted to climb the ladder. I am, I am now that I've really gotten in tune with who I am, and I'm still learning, man. I'm not saying I know myself better than anybody, but I'm just I'm actively seeking that now. So, are you are you familiar with the Enneagram? You ever heard of the Enneagram? I have, yeah. I haven't done it for myself, um, but yes. So I've used that. Um, we were given that book in premarital counseling with my wife, but I've also studied it through a lot of people that I that I know that I'm an Enneagram three, and they're known as the performer. So like I have a tendency to put my identity on how I am perceived on how I perform in a, in a public way. You know, like I, I need to feel validated in my work. And I thought I'm going to climb the ladder. I want to be a big time college strength coach. You know, that's what I want to be. I want to be wearing the big logo and everything. And and I struggled and fought that with, with family, right? Because I'm, I'm being tugged in two different places. So I realized where I was at in the environment I was at was not good for me and my family. So I went on to something different. Went on to a private sector job in Colorado. The environment with my family was good. The hours were good. My, I hated my job, though. The job was horrible. The boss I worked for was an, a maniac. Um, it was very... Uh, my, we were, I was happy with where we were at with my wife. My wife loved her job. We were in a good environment, but I was miserable as a, as a career wise. So I was like, okay, now I'm on the flip side. Everything's good at home, but I hate my job. I got to find the middleman. You know, like I, I need this. And my wife recognized that. And I got this opportunity to come to a high school and understand that was so quick. I got done with baseball in 2016, interned for three months, GA for nine months, division one director for nine months. A private sector job for six months. Wow. And that, then I come to a high school. I had never been anywhere long enough to even see anything manifest. I didn't even know if I was any good. How in the world do I even know I was a good coach? I've never even had a chance to see anything come to fruition. I, but I, I didn't know that at the time. So I got here. And then after year one, just kept, I knew this is where I wanted to be. And finally getting through the first year and then seeing, and then in year two, I realized, wow, things really do take time to figure out. So I just started diving in on just developing myself through conversations with coaches, conversations with friends, and just started to double down where I was at. And instead of trying to just climb the ladder personally, 
Cause like, yeah, I was a division. Like, I tell people, yeah, I was a division one strength coach, but for, for nine months, I don't, honestly, you could not count that. You could take that off my resume at this point because it, it doesn't matter. Because I only was concerned with what that what that perceived me as to my peers. And that's hard to admit that I was really di- like I was all about. I need you to think how good I am, not just be good at what I do. And it was really tough, and and it got to a point where, like, I eventually went to therapy. Um, I went to I went to marriage therapy by myself because I was having communication issues with my wife. We just mm-hmm. fighting all the time mm-hmm. over stupid stuff, like no, nothing even no any big categories, just like silly things. And I was like, why, why is this so hard? And when I finally went to therapy and saw a professional, I realized how miserable and horrible of a communicator I was. That I was a condescending asshole, like just to be completely honest with you. And that I was just not, I was, I was, I, and I was an absolute like remedial when it comes to communicating. And it didn't make sense to me. Cause I was like, I feel like I'm a pretty good coach. That's part of communicating. Right. But when I started to do that and started to realize I had to work on myself, that's when things really started to flourish for me. And, and I'm, I'm just getting started. You know what I mean? Like I'm, Everything's gotten so much better, uh, and, and getting clearer with where I stand on things and and why I put out content all over the place now, and and I know that that comes with assumptions from the field that people will think. I, a lot of people think I'm arrogant. A lot of people think that I'm brash. A lot of people think that I I I think highly of myself, or you know, who's this guy who who puts all his opinions out there and thinks he knows everything? Well, that's not the case, guys. Like I'm honestly just like to put things out there and I'm okay with it if I'm wrong at this point, but at least I had the courage to try it and I'm just going to learn from the experience. And if I was right, I don't even know if right's the right answer, but if I found answers through that, that's the only way to create robustness. As it's, it's, it's the scientific method, man. You got a hypothesis, you got to test it, not create this made up test in your mind to try and then try to fabricate results to make you feel like you did. And I'll be honest is that's what I've struggled with the most in my life is looking in the mirror and being honest with yourself, being honest with my problems, being honest with my insecurities, and then moving from there rather than trying to convince myself of something that I'm not. I don't mean to get so long-winded <laughs> on that answer, but a lot of coaches have problems because they themselves have problems. That That's mm-hmm. I 100% that think that's the truth. Like they, I heard one of my good friends who's a business owner who put it in business perspective was said, there's no such thing as business problems, only personal problems. And I was like, Mm. wow, that's wild. Okay. It's an interesting perspective there and that everything is interconnected. And if you think that your own problems cannot have an effect, you know, the iron sharpens iron concept 100% is in play and you better find a way to get in tune with that. If you ever want to try to make a change or go in a different direction. I think that was actually a brief summary because I did listen to your podcast where you talked about your story it's like a two-hour detailed, and when I was listening to it, it just makes you realize uh, other people have gone through things that you may or may not know about. And when you realize that, when you hear the ups and downs that you've had, you've had a lot of ups and downs in a, in a relatively short career. Um, it makes you reflect on, okay, this is why he comes at things with a certain angle. This is why he has like stronger opinions because he's tried it, it didn't work. Or he tried it and it worked, and now he knows it, you know it's better. And I think too often, um, especially on Twitter, 
and I love Twitter. I love Twitter so much. It's helped me in my career so much. Like we're quick to judge. It's like, okay, this guy thinks he knows everything or, you know, this, uh, this person just like they, they have too many opinions on too many things. But when you get to know them, you talk to them, you have a conversation, you go on a podcast with them, you listen to something that they talked about. I think it makes it a little bit easier to to understand where they're coming from and why they think the way that they do. And I think that part a lot of coaches can be better at. It's not my way or the highway. It's this works for me and this uh, another coach out there, he does it a different way. Um, he or she does it a different way. And maybe I can learn from that. Maybe I can learn, you know, why do you take out Olympic lifts? Why do they do 630 lifts? Why do they train seven times a week? Yeah. And I think if we're a little bit open to, and, that, and I'm on the same way, there's times I'm probably like, all right, I'm muting this guy. I'm blocking this guy. I'm not going to listen, like take their course. It's like, well, maybe they know something you don't, Tom. Like you haven't all figured out either. So I do. That's hard to discern, yeah. man. And I, right? I, I love the points you made, but you said two words that make, that I want every coach to take away. And that's, that's assumption and listen. Like one, l- listening is active. Listening requires putting yourself in somebody else's shoes, not, not coming from a, like listening is all about perspective. Right. And even when you're reading on Twitter, cause honestly, I didn't give anybody a good reason to like me two years ago. <laughs> Seriously. I didn't like, I yeah. was out my approach with how I used my words on written word on Twitter in small 280 characters was not constructive. It was self-seeking and I had to have a really hard understanding. And now that I was like, I didn't realize you can still have strong opinions without being negatives or trying to tear people down or attack people's identities. You don't have to do that. And if you'll, if you want to know more, ask questions, don't have assumptions. That's, that's massive. Like if you go into a situation Regardless. So like, for example, a great example of this for coaches, strength coaches is meeting with sport coaches that you already have this assumption in your head of what they think of training and what, what you think they think of training mm-hmm. or with a client or whoever that is. you don't go into the conversation being equipped to just listen, listen and find out more information as you listen. Like just find out, let them reveal their perspective, be willing to step into their perspective and go from there. You have to listen. And the same thing on Twitter, you have to read, all right? What was their tone of voice? What's the context here? If you just assume and fire off, which I've done hundreds of times, it, like for example, I literally did it this week. I felt like an idiot. Like I saw somebody uh, freaking tweet about, I saw a tweet that came across my timeline, Tom, about Dr. Dre playing the piano saying like, oh, I, I, did, I got lost so much, didn't see Eminem Neal that I... Dr. Dre could make his way around a piano. And I quote tweeted it and was like, you think one of the best producers of all time doesn't know it's way around a piano. You're, you're crazy. Well, it happened to be, that <laughs> happened to be a guy that's got like 3.5 million followers and he's an artist. Um, God, I can't remember. Uh, <laughs> but quest, quest love from the roots is who it was. Okay. It was, it was a joke. It was satire. And uh-huh. I didn't, I didn't take the time I didn't delete the tweet. Did that see? That's the difference now between me and two years ago. Somebody yeah. called me out on it and was like, "You're an idiot," and I'm like, "You know what? You're right." Big L. Like, mm-hmm. I'm aware it. That was that was bad. <laughs> I messed up. I apologize. I didn't. Re- I read into that too quick. I own that now. You know, two years ago, I would have tried to delete it and try to hide that from the public. But to me, I'm like, no, I gotta own that. I made the mistake. Just own it. Like that was stupid. That was stupid. I, I quick to judge, and and trying to make assumptions based off our perspective. Well, drop your perspective and try to. Get into the other person's shoes. 
on where they're at because their their mind frame, their perspective is not going to be the same as yours. Just like you pointed out, I guarantee you somebody's going to listen to this podcast in the very beginning and they're going to hear we lift at 6.30 a.m. and we have seven sessions a week and they're going to go, oh, the, oh, God, the volume's too high. You're killing kids. You're asking kids to come in. You're not letting them sleep. How are they going to eat bread? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> You're doing exactly <laughs> that would have been what That would have been me a year ago. I'd be like, oh, this Cody Hughes guy doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, you just completely like, what kind, of, what kind of strength coach are you, dude? I'm like, all right, well, it's fine if you want to think that. At this point, I'm like, you know. <laughs> I had the opposite problem view two years ago. I wasn't posting anything on Twitter. I wasn't sharing my experiences, my thoughts, opinions. I was just observing. And I was like, man, like no one knows who I am. I'm not invited to do stuff. And it's like, you didn't put yourself out there, Tom. Like you didn't like it. Most things come back to like the man in the arena speech from Teddy Roosevelt. Like put some skin in the game and then you can start sharing opinions, sharing your experiences, having better conversations. And once you do that, it just elevates you so much as a coach. Anyone can sit back and criticize, right. but the people that are doing the work that are running a high school program, middle school program, private sector, whatever program you're in, even if you're training one kid, it gives you that much more credibility. Um, Cause it's easy to sit back and be like, yeah, every kid should train at two 30 in the afternoon. They should have, you know, these sessions on Monday, these on Wednesdays, they should sprint here. Uh-huh. And then you get into the actual, you know, the, we should have this kind of weight room, this kind of turf, these kind of equipment. And then you actually get into it and it's like, all right, I have way more constraints than I thought. How do I make the best of this? And yeah, the those are coaches, the, uh, yeah. Tim, the Timmy textbooks of the world. Oh, you can, oh <laughs> the textbook says, shut up undergrad. You got a lot to, you got a lot to learn. <laughs> you know, this is, this is a real world, man. Sorry. You know, but have you, uh, have you experienced the, the the world of trolldom yet like have you gotten to a point now where you've put out enough content that you literally have like these trolls coming after you it's hard to identify early like yeah i got ate up by them like as soon like literally (laughs) it's funny like we had one i think i had one yesterday yeah so like i put out that uh you see me put out that video a couple days ago about time and retention that i was talking about yeah no i watched it last night and i was i did have some questions on that okay look at that in a second um, yeah, let, let me, let me, I want I want you to hear this dude. It's hilarious. So this troll guy, <laughs> and if you would have known if he was a troll, you have no idea. So this guy, uh, if you go to his, uh, bio, he has five followers. His bio says country boy from the South, stand up for what you believe in. And that's me chugging a cold Miller light every day and decking liberals in the face. It's an obvious troll account. And he said, yeah. nothing makes me more angry than people like this that act like they know what they're talking about. This sounds like a bunch of made up crap to me. <laughs> two years ago i would have blasted i would have just i would have just absolutely <laughs> blasted every bit, right. piece of ammo of him i had and didn't realize well nah that's not that that th- this person is simply trying to piggyback off of engagement you know like keep in mind you have a tweet that goes that goes know, viral but it starts to catch some heat algorithm yep. starts to like it Dude, and here's the thing too when you put skin in the game people aren't going to like it I, Tom, I can mm-hmm. tell you, and I'm, I won't tell you this on air. I can't tell you how many people have tried to attack me. It's insane. Like people have tried to come at me in many mm-hmm. different ways and people that you would actually think you would respect people that I, I'm not going to name drop out of respect because I respect myself enough not to do that too. They don't deserve my attention. You'd be surprised. You'd be like, whoa, what? Yeah, man. Like when, when you decide to put skin in the game, especially when you're in a situation like yours where 
you have some freedom to say what you want. A lot of people, other people don't based off their employer or out of nervousness, you know, to mm-hmm. what, but when you say, when you're honest about things and some people will come after you, man, and you have to be able to handle that. You got to be able to navigate that space. I have not navigated it well in the past. I am working on that. So that was just an example. Didn't mean to, but if you had a question about that video, shoot, we can discuss that. Yeah. So one of my questions in general about the weight room is very often, like we know nothing you can do in the weight room can match like the speed of running, right? So that's a common thing talked about on social media. You can run like 10 meters a second. And in the weight room, the fastest thing is like, one, two, three, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. So my question is if you are doing, so like some thoughts are let's do things with like intent. So if we're doing like, let's just say like a split lunge, if you're doing it fast, that's going to help you be like a fast athlete. Cause you're doing it like at max and like max speed, max velocity. Right. Right. But if that max velocity is only like 1.5 meters a second, is that actually going to impact the higher level velocity movements that happen in sport or in your scenario you're slowing things down you're doing a five second eccentric is that going to have a bigger impact on the the capabilities of the athlete and and really the the velocity training when they do with sprinting change of direction agility acceleration that's really going to change those speed patterns we're looking for this is a great question. I'm actually going to be presenting on this at the NHSSCA National Conference this summer in Nashville. So this will be really good. A little preface here because I'm running this experiment right now. And I think that that argument is really faulty. That's the Mike Boyle-ism. Love Mike. I, I, I talk to Mike all the time, but his is like the fastest thing you can do in the weight room is two meters per second on the track. You can run up to 10 meters per second um, for a decent sprinter. I'm like, okay, but you're looking at motion velocity, not muscular, mm-hmm. not muscular velocity. You're not looking at contraction velocity. It's not the same thing. Um, and that's hard to, you can't measure that. We can't measure it. Um, not unless you're in a lab, but there's time and place for those things. Cause at the end of the day, you have force production, you have rate of force production, right? And then you have health, right? Can you, can you, can you hold up to those things, right? Do you have mm-hmm. the structure to be able to handle the bandwidth of those types of forces? So there's a time and place for those in driving intent, especially for rate coding, possible uh, for rate coding adaptations for neural adaptations, right? We want to be able to drive power, but you have to understand that it's still very specific in what you're doing. And that if you only ever try to train in terms of intent or in the absolute craze of velocity based training these days, when are you ever going to actually take care of your health? When are you actually going to, continue to help with your foundation because most people if you look at sets are going to be anywhere from zero to 10 seconds you never find you never work on true capacity you know true capacity of the muscles true capacity of the tendons that's one thing that people aren't thinking about when we do slow eccentric work it's really for a couple of things one we are trying to accumulate time uh time under tension to be able to truly do a couple of things one maximally stimulate contractile adaptations in the muscle so I, I need to get, I need to have higher force production capabilities, right? And I want to do, I have, there's requirements to be able to do that. Um, it's really hard to, to do that in full ranges of motion when you're going fast, especially mm-hmm. in a, in a low skilled lifter. Eccentrics also allow us to create stability and spend more times in ranges to where we need to be better at in order to be healthy. Going slow also is one of the best ways to keep tendons healthy by trying to make them more pliable. 
right? Tendons are either going to, they're, they're going to act two ways. They're going to be stiff and act as one sheet where they need to expand, right? They need to be a little more pliable. I think a lot of times in high school athletes, they're way too stiff. Um, and a lot of coaches are like, we need to train more stiffness to be more springy. I'm like, yeah, okay. Um, a lot of that, I'm not saying you don't need to train that. Of course you do, but you also need to train the pliability side so that when a muscle contracts hard, if we're too stiff, that's when strains are going to happen. That tendon needs to be able to give some whenever we produce force. And our kids are constantly doing plyometric type activities in their seven on seven and their AAU and their skill work and their pickups. That's all they're doing. They never slow down. They never do ISOs. They never do eccentric training. So if we need to fill a bucket, that's not being filled. And we do that. And we, and we feel like we check that box with a lot of eccentric, eccentric or time under tension sets instead of trying to do like, you know, eight sets of two dynamic effort type work with a high school kid that I just don't think that yeah, you're trying to create power with a very low foundation. Why aren't we trying to extend that runway and put a much deeper strength and health foundation before we ever get there? But to me, I'd rather train power in, in vectors and shapes of areas that we're actually going to play in not just in a vertical pattern with our feet together in a back squat. I'm just not a huge fan of velocity-based training in a squat. I just don't understand it. Like, okay, you're going to create intent, you know, like, all right, that's fine. But you're going to create a lot more intent on sprinting and change of direction and jumping and throwing and cutting. It's, in my opinion, like the rate coding in that vector and in that environment looks different than a, than a back mm-hmm. squat because a back squat is still slower than the time you get to produce the force anyway. So you're like trying to be good at something that doesn't really check many boxes, but a lot of coaches will completely disagree with me on that and that's okay. But one thing I'm seeing, we're in week six and here in about 30 minutes, we're going to train um, our, uh, where are we at? I think 17th. Yeah. 17th off season session of strength training with football and seeing how we're moving because of how we've, made a huge focus on controlling movements and pauses and stuff like that. Now we're actually getting tension across full ranges of motion. We're increasing mobility by being able to do that. We're also being able to put tension across fibers in lengthened uh, states, which is massive. I mean, if you can, if you can get strong or you can produce force or create stability in lengthened states for the most part, that's going to help you be really healthy, especially if you look at it from the lat, if you look at it from the quads, you look at it from the hamstring. If we can get really strong in lengthened positions, you got, I think you have a better chance of being healthy rather than constantly trying to train in the shortened range of motion, you know, in the shortened position or the shortened state of a muscle group uh, to where we need to be able to have more movement variability in order to make plays. And, and that's where that comes from. Um, I really truly believe a lot of mobility can come from training in full ranges of motion and then getting in positions that you're not good at and breathing. Um, but that's a whole nother conversation, but that's, that's a very brief approach to how we're going to do things. Um, and, and the hypothesis that I'm running, you know, I'm going to run, what is this? We're going to go three. We're going to do six. Yeah. We're going to do 18 weeks of this going from accumulation and intensification. I'm going to look at my results as unbiased as possible. And I'm going to present on it this summer in June. And I'm, and it's going to tell me, all right, well, did it do what I wanted it to do? Did I do? Did it do what I thought it was going to do? No, I need to look at it. What did it do? Well, now that I know, then I'll adjust from there. So to me, I, people are going to think I'm crazy, but I don't see a lot of value in the the metric of peak 
peak force or mean mean velocity or peak velocity. I don't. I don't. It, if you understand, if you read Dan Cleaver's book Force, you will understand that those are very small metrics happening in a very small time, very small part. You don't see the whole. Yes, it creates intent. That's cool. I'm going to teach my kids intent when they sprint, man. I'm going to teach my kids intent when they jump. I'm going to teach my kids intent in drills. I'm not going to teach my kids that this fast of a back squat is king. I just, I, I, I it's just not my approach. And that's fine. I'm, and once again, everybody has their own ways and a lot of people have success with different strategies. Currently, that's not where I'm at. Same exact argument when it comes to Olympic lifting. I think a lot of people celebrate Man, you look really great flipping that 155-pound hand clean. You're a technician. For what? <laughs> like, okay. Like you're really good at doing a 185-pound block clean. You look that's t- that kid moves well. For what? Have you seen him sprint? He can't even skip. Yeah, he can clean. What where's your emphasis? What are you trying to improve? Are you trying to boost your own ego? That doesn't mean that cleans are bad. There's a lot of really great coaches that use Olympic lifts. Obviously, they've they've lasted and the test of time, people been using them forever for athletic performance. I'm not saying that they're bad. I just I don't see it. Like I said, I'm gonna ride my I'm gonna ride my own wavelength. I'm, I can't I can't I can't justify it. I just can't. Also, look at Olympic lifting as if you see Olympic lifters who truly try to get strong through Olympic lifting, their sessions are two and a half hours long. The amount of volume that an Olympic lifter has to use in order to get adaptations from an Olympic lift, just to get better at the Olympic lift itself and get strong, takes a ton of time. Mm-hmm. I don't have that time. Success of different strategies. That's a that's a great uh, phrase there. I think a lot of us could learn from that. Um, there's not one road that leads to Rome. I think we all are figuring that out now, and I think we're being a little better about understanding those, but still some conflict um, when coaches get together and talk. Thank you for taking time to be on the podcast, Cody. I really appreciate your insights and your story, your background. Keep being an awesome coach. Keep being active on Twitter. Excited to see what you can do with your athletes down in Alabama. And uh, just thanks for being a great guest. Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me on, man. It's an honor.